Okay, we are on chapter 31, page 58 of the Confession, and we're really close to being done. We have uh, these two paragraphs today, then we are going to do an additional one on this subject next week, and then we have three paragraphs on the Last Judgment, and then that'll be it for the Confession, in terms of our study of it. Then we'll be on to something, something else. Okay, chapter 31, and we are in paragraphs 2 and 3, and this chapter is dealing with uh, the state of humanity after death and the resurrection of the dead. So last time, we looked at what was true concerning what happens to a person at their death, at their death, both as it relates to their body, the physical component, and then as it relates to the immaterial or the spiritual component, the soul, right? The bodies of all men at death are buried into the ground and then they undergo decay. That's what happens to the bodies of both the righteous and the wicked at death. So there's no difference in the way uh, both of them die, both of them are buried, both of their bodies undergo decay. But then the souls of the righteous at their death go to be with the Lord and are in communion with Him and are made perfect in holiness, while the souls of the wicked are thrown into hell and are awaiting the final day of judgment where they will be tormented even now. Right? So this is what is happening in regards to the souls of men at death. Now all of this is temporary or intermediate in terms of the finality of things. There is another day coming, an ultimate day, in which uh, both the bodies and souls of men will be reunited and then men will enter into their final destination for all eternity. So what we dealt with last time pertains to the way things are in this present life. In this present life, as long as the world continues as it is until the return of Christ, people will marry, they will be given in marriage, they will have children, they will live, they will die. One generation lives, and then they die, and then the next generation lives, and then they die. And this is the way the earth has continued for many, many, many years. And as long as the earth continues as it currently is, until the day of judgment, until the day of Christ, this is what will happen. People will live, they will die, their bodies will be buried into the ground where they will undergo decay. The souls of the righteous will go to be with the Lord. The souls of the wicked will go to a place of torment where they are held there until the final day of judgment. Then at the final day of judgment, at the day of Christ, then there will be uh, another uh, level or a, another realization uh, concerning the future state of men, both for the righteous and the wicked. And that is the ultimate final state that we are looking for, right? And in terms of the righteous, their salvation takes place in stages, right? In stages, right? At our conversion, we are redeemed at that point. And then throughout our life, there is the sanctification process that takes place. But no believer has arrived at their final state yet, right? Until we are made perfect in the Lord. Then at death, their souls are made righteous and they go to be with the Lord while their bodies undergo decay. But then on the day of Christ, their bodies will be raised and then they'll be given immortal bodies and then they'll be with the Lord forever and ever. And this is the way it is currently. Okay, so we're in chapter 31 in paragraphs two and three is what we will deal with today. So paragraph two says, at the last day, those saints who are found alive will not sleep, but will be changed. All the dead will be raised up with the very same bodies, not different ones, though they will have different qualities. 
their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. So here, at the last day, the last day being the day of Christ, the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ, this is the final event, the culminating event of all human history that brings an end to this present world the way it is and then brings in the final state, which is the new heavens and new earth, and then the lake of fire for the wicked for all eternity. So this present world continues until the last day, and the last day is the day of Christ, when he will come and judge the world in righteousness. There, at the last day, those saints who are found alive will not sleep, but will be changed. That when Christ returns to this earth, there are going to be people who are still alive. The earth is still going to be populated when Christ returns. And those who are believers at the return of Christ are not going to die. They're not going to sleep, but they will be instantaneously. They're going to be changed in an instant to be made perfect and to be made like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15 describes the body and what it will be like in our perfected state. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So there, not all of us are going to sleep. Not all believers are going to sleep. Not all believers are going to undergo death. Those that are alive, when Christ returns, they will not sleep. However, all believers, whether they have lived and died, or whether they are alive at the return of Christ, all of them will be changed. Their bodies will be changed because... Flesh and blood, our current bodies that we have now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The body we possess now is not a suitable body for the heavenly celestial life that we will live in the life to come. Because this body is still corrupt. It still has the flesh. It's still undergoing decay. It is not an immortal body. How could this mortal body inherit a kingdom that is eternal, an immortal kingdom? It's impossible. So we have to have a body that is suitable for that kingdom. And this flesh and blood that we now have is not suitable for the kingdom of God. We have a perishable body, and it is not suitable for an imperishable life. And that is why we must all be changed, right? We won't all die, but we all must be changed, because if we're not changed, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. Then verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So there, 
In a moment, he says, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns, then the perishable will put on the imperishable. The perishable body will give way to an imperishable body, and the mortal body will give way. It will be changed in a moment, right, instantaneously, in this miracle of God into an immortal body that can never die. And then when that happens, then the saying will come true. It will be proven to be true. Though the saying is true today, isn't it already true that death is swallowed up in victory? Where is the victory of death? Where is the sting of death? Well, death has been defeated through the cross of Christ, through his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. But the realization of that, the full manifestation of that victory, has not been yet realized in the children of God. Because all of the children of God, what happens to them if they live long enough? They die. Their mortal body dies. But here on the resurrection, then death will no longer have any power over them. This will be the same as it is with Christ. As it says in Romans chapter 6, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, can never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the life he lives, he lives to God, right? He, death has no power, no dominion over Christ because he already died and then he rose from the grave to an immortal life and he can never die again. Death no longer has any power over Christ. Well, that's the same. Death exercised a short temporary power over Christ for three days, but then God raised him up from the dead. Well, the same is true for us. Death will exercise a short dominion over the children of God that he describes as sleep, but then ultimately death will give way to victory through Jesus Christ because he will raise our, our mortal bodies to mortal bodies. We will be changed by the miracle of God and then death will have no power over us. We can never die again because we will have the immortal life of Christ according to his humanity. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. And we'll start reading in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. So here, he wants them to be informed, not uninformed, right? Uninformed is ignorant, but we don't need to be ignorant because we have the word of God, and he's going to teach us truths that we need to know, so that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. That would be as unbelievers. When the unbeliever loses their loved one who's an unbeliever, they have no hope because they're about, they're, they're, their soul has entered into torment and then one day their body and soul will be cast into the lake of fire. They have no eternal hope. So they should grieve because this life is the best life that they're ever going to experience. It's their best life now, right? Their best life now. That's what they're having right now. But they're not going to have it in the life to come. But we, we don't believe this. We, don't, we know that this isn't the case. So why would we grieve as those who have no hope? 
Now, he's not saying that it's wrong for us to grieve for the loss of our loved ones or for the loss of saints in the church that we know and love, right? Because again, if we live long enough here, eventually people are going to start dying. People are going to die, and we're going to be sad to lose a saint, someone that we love who has been with us. But we're not going to grieve as those who have no hope because we know that there is resurrection. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So do we believe that Jesus died and rose again? Is this not a central tenet of the Christian faith? Is this not the very centerpiece of the Christian faith? He died for our sins and was raised for our justification. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe he died. We believe he rose again. Well, even so, just as he died and rose again, so he will also raise those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Those believers in Christ who have died, he will raise them up from the grave just as he rose from the grave. Isn't his resurrection the first fruits of those who have died? His resurrection is the first fruits of resurrection. And that means there are more fruit, much more fruit to come after that. A greater harvest is coming, and that is the saints, the believers who have died in Christ. Then verse 15, this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. So this isn't his own opinion or his own thought. It's a word from the Lord. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Right? There is an order that happens when Christ returns. When Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Right? And is this going to be a secret? Or is this going to be plain and obvious for everyone to see? Right? I say that because this is the passage. Y'all have heard of the secret rapture before? Everyone knows about that secret rapture? That this is the passage people use to teach the secret rapture. But there's nothing secret about this. It's obvious. It's plain. People's bodies are coming up out of graves. How can you miss, how can you miss that? Right? It's right there. It's obvious and plain. There's trumpet sounds. There's the shout of an archangel. All of this is happening audibly, visibly to the sight of all men when Christ is revealed from heaven in flaming fire. Who can miss that when he comes with his angels in flaming fire? That's the way that he's going to come. Well, when he is revealed in that way, those who have died in Christ, they will be raised first. They will be resurrected. Their bodies will come up out of the graves and will be transformed into these glorious immortal bodies and their souls will be reunited with their bodies and they will go up to meet the Lord in the sky. And then those who are alive in Christ will go with them as well. So they go first, and then those who are alive will go up with them as well. And then all of them with Christ will descend to the earth, where he's coming to conquer this earth, to judge the world in righteousness. That's what he says. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Descend from heaven. Descend from heaven to where? 
to the earth, just as he ascended from earth to the heaven. And then the angels told them, just as he went, so he will come again. He's now descending from heaven to the earth to judge the world in righteousness, right? He's going to do that with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will always be with the Lord. That's the end for us. So do we have no hope? No, we have great hope. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Comfort one another with these words. When the saint dies, comfort them with these words. Their spirit is with Christ now. One day Christ will return and will raise their body. And then they will always be with the Lord, both body and spirit, for all eternity. Isn't that a very comforting word? Yes, for us to comfort one another with. So this is the way it will go down. Next, all the dead will be raised up with the very same bodies, not different ones, though they will have different qualities. The body will be the same body, the same body that we possess now, but it will be transformed to have different qualities. Right? It won't be the same in terms of the quality. Now it is a mortal body, then it will be an immortal body, but it is the same body in the sense of it's this body that is then transformed by the power of Christ. It's not a different body that God creates and gives to you, but he takes this body and transforms it into a new body, into a heavenly body, into a spiritual body, into an immortal, eternal body. That is the way that it will be. So not a different body. You don't get my body, I don't get yours. And you don't get a different body that God creates new for you for the new heavens and new earth. You get the same body you have now, but one that has been transformed by the power of God. Isn't that the way it was with Christ? Didn't he rise from the grave with the same body? Now, it wasn't the same in terms of the qualities of the body. When he was buried, it was a body that could die. The body he came out of the grave with was an immortal body that can never die again. But he was recognizable. They did see him and they recognized who he was. So the same features, the same look, right? You will be recognizable in the life to come, but your body will be far superior in terms of quality to the body that you now possess. Job 19 And verses 26 and 27. 19:26. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. So after my skin is destroyed, he's talking about his death. After his death, he still entertained the hope, the faith, the belief that in his flesh, he would see God. He doesn't say, after my body's destroyed, my spirit will be with God. He's talking about his flesh, which is referring to what? The body. The body. Well, how can that be the case if he's dead? other than resurrection, right? Resurrection. But also, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. So he himself, his eyes, this body, this flesh that he has, 
will see God. Not as it is currently, but as it will be when it is transformed by the power of God. So the same body, but transformed by the power of God. And then it says their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. So currently, right now, if we die, our souls and our bodies are separated. The spirit goes to be with God who gave it, or as Jesus said to the thief on the cross, right, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, what part of him was with Christ in paradise that day? Not his body. His body was on the earth. His body was buried into the ground. It was his spirit that went to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Spiritually, our souls go to be with God, but our bodies are here on the earth. So if we die now, as it is, there's a separation of the soul and of the body. But at the return of Christ, the soul and body will be reunited together. Your soul will be reunited to your body. My soul will be reunited to my body, but the body that it will be reunited to will be a new body, not new in terms of a different one, but new in terms of redemption, a redemption body that has been transformed through the miracle of God. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42, 42 to 49. says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So here, the body is sown and raised. He's using the metaphor of planting. You sow a seed, it dies in the ground, but what comes forth from that seed is not the bare seed, but rather something that is greater, far superior than what you planted in the ground, right? For example, if you plant an acorn in the ground, right, you would not expect that that little acorn would grow into this mighty oak tree. But what comes forth from that seed is something that far surpasses the seed that was planted in the ground. And so it is with the body. It is buried, it is planted in the ground in burial, and then what comes forth from that is far superior than what it was before. Though there is continuity between it, just as it is with the acorn, you don't plant the acorn and it becomes a watermelon. It becomes consistent with what, it, with what it is. So you plant the man into the ground when he dies. He's not raised as an elephant or something else. He comes out as a man. He comes out as the same man, but superior to what he was before. Far superior to what he was before. The body that is sown into the ground at death 
is a perishable body, right? One that has died and one that will undergo decay in the ground. But when it is raised, it is an imperishable body, one that can never perish again. It will never undergo destruction or decay. It is sown in dishonor. Isn't our body now a dishonorable body? It's weak. It has many weaknesses. It ages. Right? We're all getting older. Even Mike earlier was grunting and groaning, just trying to get up out of the chair because we're all getting old and our backs are hurting. This is the way, this is the way it is. We get older and older and our body has dishonor in that way. But it's going to be raised a glorious body, a glorious body. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. The body now is natural, natural meaning sinful, fleshly, right? It is susceptible to sin and temptation, and we do sin with our bodies. But it'll be raised a spiritual body, not meaning spiritual in the sense that it's invisible, but spiritual in that it has the spiritual life of God in it. It is a spiritual body, one that can commune with God and one that will never sin, right? That'll be the best part of our new bodies. We will never sin against God again. We will not have the ability to do so because we will not have a natural fleshly body. It will not be there in the spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam being Jesus Christ. He is a life-giving spirit. The first one, he had to receive life from God. God gave him a living soul. But the second one gives life to all men. He's the one that gives life to the elect. Okay, next, paragraph three. The bodies of the unjust will be raised by the power of Christ to dishonor. By his spirit, the bodies of the just will be raised to honor and will be made like Christ's own glorious body. So here, the resurrection is of both the unjust and the just, of the righteous and the wicked, the elect, the non-elect, believers, unbelievers, children of God, children of the devil, however you want to slice it and dice it, All men will be raised. The bodies of all men will be raised by the power of Christ. The bodies of the unjust will be raised for eternal dishonor, eternal damnation, condemnation, torment in the lake of fire for all eternity. The bodies of the just will be raised as well, but not for dishonor, but for honor, for glory for eternal life with God, for paradise with God. And they will be made like Christ's own glorious body. The body of the believer will be made like Christ. We'll be, our bodies will be like his. And that way we will be like Christ. Okay, Acts 24. Acts 24, verses 14 and 15. Acts 24, 14 says, But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, 
that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So here, the Apostle Paul is defending himself against these false charges. They call it a sect. They call it a cult. That's what his enemies are saying. This guy is a deviant. He's teaching heresy. He's teaching false doctrine. They call it a sect, but he calls it the way, the true way, right? The true and proper way. He serves the God of our fathers. He believes everything that is written in the law and the prophets. So he's not teaching anything that is contrary to the law or to the prophets. And what is he teaching? Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves. He's not even teaching anything contrary to to what they themselves say they believe. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. So he's teaching that as well. But he's teaching it in the true, proper sense. And what is it that they cherish? That there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. A resurrection. And resurrection has to be physical. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. It's not just a spiritual resurrection. That's nonsense. How can a spirit be resurrected? It is a physical body that needs to be resurrected. And there is a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So all men... All men who have lived from Adam to the end of the world, they all will be resurrected from the dead. Their bodies will be reunited to their souls. They will be resurrected. Those who are unjust, the wicked, will be resurrected with dishonorable bodies. They will be reunited with their soul, and then they will be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. The bodies of believers will be resurrected, transformed by the power of Christ, and then they will inherit the kingdom of God with him. John chapter 5. Now, I point out that there are some people who teach a false doctrine called annihilationism. Annihilationism. Annihilationism says that there is a resurrection for the believer, for the righteous, and they will bodily go and for all eternity consciously be with God, worship God, live in heaven with God forever and ever. But the wicked, they'll just cease to exist. They're going to be obliterated. Their body and soul will cease to exist and they'll have no existence for all eternity. There there are people who believe that because they find it to be cruel, unusual punishment that God would inflict eternal torment on people. And so this is their, their clever, crafty way of getting God off the hook because they don't believe in the justice and righteousness of God. However, in all of these passages, when he's speaking of the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked, he's speaking of them in tandem, together. How can he be referring to two opposite things? For the one, it's a, a physical bodily resurrection, and the other one is just annihilationism. That's not the way these passages read. These passages read as resurrection for both the righteous and the wicked, one for eternal life, the other for eternal condemnation. So there's no justification for this false doctrine, and anyone who teaches it, we should have nothing to do with them, okay? Because what they're teaching is no good. John 5, 25 to 29. 
John 5, 25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So there, again, he's not talking in metaphors. He's talking literally. This is literally, visibly, physically what's going to happen. The hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Whose voice? The voice of Christ. The voice of Christ, just as Lazarus heard the voice of Christ. Lazarus, come out, right? And what did he do? He came out of the tomb. So also, all men will hear the voice of Christ, and all will come forth. They will all come out of the tomb, out of the grave. Those who did good deeds to the resurrection of life. This is the righteous, the believers. Now, again, of course, Jesus doesn't mean that on the basis of their good deeds, they are going to have the resurrection of life. But rather, their good deeds is the fruit. This is the manifestation that they are true believers, that they are in Christ. The good deeds are the evidence that they are the children of God. And that is the basis of their being judged outwardly. It is on the basis of their deeds which prove that they have true faith in Christ because faith without works is dead. So how do you prove if someone has dead faith or living faith? The fruit, right? The good deeds. That's what he means in this sense. Those who did the good deeds will have the resurrection of life, but those who committed evil deeds, the resurrection of judgment. That is how they will be separated the sheep from the goats. But here it is a resurrection, a resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. Resurrection cannot mean cease to be, cannot mean annihilationism, cannot mean something just merely spiritual. It is physical, spiritual torment for all eternity for the reprobate. Philippians chapter 3 Philippians 3, verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Here, in speaking to the Christian, he reminds them that our citizenship is in heaven. We belong in heaven. That's where our true citizenship lies, not on this earth. Right now, we are strangers, aliens. We are sojourners on the earth with God. And while we are on this earth, we're eagerly waiting for our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for what? For him to return for him to come and take us. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. The bride is eagerly waiting for the bridegroom to come and take the bride 
into his house, right? To go and be with the Lord. Well, when he comes, what will he do? He will transform the body of our humble state. Right now, we have a body in a humble state, susceptible to sin, susceptible to death, to weakness, to uh, being tired, right? We have these frail, weak bodies right now. Our humble bodies will be transformed into conformity with the body of his glory. So this body will give way and it will be replaced by the body of his glory. The same kind of body that Jesus came out of the grave with, that's the body we will have when Christ returns. And who's going to do it? Christ. He has the power to do so because God has subjected all things to him. He will give it to us. Okay, then one last passage, not in your booklet, would be Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Now I'll bring this one up because it teaches the same truths, but also because it is in the Old Testament. And many of the naysayers, you know, they teach that in the Old Testament, no one knew about resurrection. They didn't know about eternal life. They didn't know about any of these things. But here, Daniel the prophet very clearly teaches the resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And this was in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who led the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there, isn't Daniel teaching the same thing? Those who have fallen asleep in the dust of the ground will awake. They're, those who have died, who are laid in the dust, they're going to come back to life, some of them to everlasting life, others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Some will go to heaven, others will go to hell. And then he describes those that will have everlasting life. What are they like? They are those who have insight. Insight into what? To the will of God. They have the wisdom of God because they've been taught by the Spirit of God. They will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. They're going to shine like stars in the heavens. They're the ones who led many to righteousness. So there, Daniel teaches a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. One to everlasting contempt, the other to everlasting life. So this is how it will end. We should then be prepared for this reality. This is the final state of all men will be one or the other. And once that is fixed, it is irrevocable. It will never be changed. Once we die, our eternal destiny is set in stone and it will never change. And if it did change, then God is a liar. But God cannot lie and God will not change his mind. So we should put our hope in Christ. He is the only way that we can avoid eternal condemnation is by trusting in Christ, repenting of our sins, and then seeking to live a godly life, right? Doing those things that are pleasing to God and then committing ourselves to him who judges justly. So may that be our pursuit and our goal. And we have to keep these things in our mind for the fear of the Lord, right? It is the fear of the Lord, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This reality 
of eternal damnation for the wicked should put the fear of God in us. But also the promise of eternal life for the righteous, that should encourage us to live a godly life, to pursue the things of God, to shake off the sin that remains, and to press on toward the kingdom of God. So let us pray to that end that God will give us the power to do so even this week. Well, Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, how you are the one, Lord, who give us insight into all things. Lord, without you, without your wisdom, Lord, we would be in the dark. Lord, we would be living according to the flesh, Lord, according to our own wisdom, which we know is no wisdom at all. Lord, we would be no different than the pagans and the idolaters who are worshiping their false gods to their own shame and ruin. But Lord, we are not in the dark, but rather you have given us the light of Christ. You have given to us your word, which teaches us all things. And Lord, it teaches us of what will be the destiny of all men. Lord, you are proclaiming to us things that have yet to be revealed, things that are future yet. Lord, that there is a day of resurrection for both the righteous and the wicked. That there are those who will be raised to eternal life, while there are others who will be raised to eternal death and condemnation. Lord, may we see and understand that it is only those who are in Christ, only those who have trusted in him and who have turned away from their sin. Lord, only they will enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, keep us from having false hope. Lord, for hoping in our heritage. Lord, in some ritual. Lord, of putting our hope in in other men or in some good work that we have done. Lord, may we never be so deceived. But rather, Lord, may we see that It is only through the blood of Christ that we can have our sins forgiven, and it is only in him that we can be made right in your sight. Lord, as well, keep us from being deceived into thinking that we can merely make a profession of faith in Christ and then go and live in sin however we please and yet enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, may we see and understand that we have to fight against sin in that we have to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. And may that be our goal and our aim, Lord, in this life. Lord, to fight against sin and to live a godly life before you. So, Father, we thank you that you have prepared us through, Lord, your word. You've prepared us for the day of judgment. Lord, you have given us the wisdom that we need so that we might stand approved by you on that day. Lord, may we not merely hear the word and deceive ourselves, but may we be those who do what your word says. Lord, may we be the wise man who built his house upon the rock, who heard your words and who obeyed them. So, Lord, give us faith. Lord, give us obedience to you. Lord, give us the strength and the zeal that we need to live a life pleasing to you. And, Lord, be with us this week. May we walk in your ways. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.